they actually understand now that this product is evidence of their learning. It's not just a product. It's, it's this evidence that gets really big. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to Learning Unboxed. Today we have some awesome guests to talk to us about what happens when you take your kids out of the classroom, out of the building, and you go into the field. And so we're really, really excited today to have with us uh, Pam Hayes, who is the Early College Coordinator for Metro Early College High School in Columbus, Ohio, and Shelly Smith, Chief Academic Officer at the PAST Foundation and the PAST Innovation Lab. And these two ladies come to us for this conversation with a wealth of experience in what it means to really get kids engaged, think so far outside of the box. Uh, They often will wonder where they are some days, uh, including some really (laughs) awesome and amazing sort of trips and experiences they do. But this is not just a conversation about outdoor education. This is a conversation about how we can truly scaffold kids to have meaningful experiences in an early college setting uh, that is really tied to helping these kids solve problems in the world. And so the program that over a number of years these two ladies have done together um, is really one that stands out as not just a case study for great STEM education, but a case study for how you can work very creatively within your community to take the opportunities and experiences that students can have, make them very, very tangible. And so these ladies come to us then uh, with a, a variety of backgrounds that I think lends themselves to sort of thinking this way. Uh, Shelly Smith, who I've known for oh, 20 some odd years at this point, comes to us out of underwater archaeology. Um, so the running joke that she and I have always had is that, you know, show Shelly the ocean and off she goes. She may never actually come back to the office again every time we send her into the field. And I think there might be some truth to that. So I'm always cautious, uh, you know, to sort of wave at the airport, um, you know, because Shelly loves what she does, especially uh, doing those things with students out in field settings. And so uh, the project they're going to talk to us about is, is an exciting one that taps into all of that. And likewise, Pam comes to us with years of education experience in public school settings, heavily involved in design and development of what became the Metro Early College, uh, and we've talked about those in previous episodes, um, Early College um, Experiences Learning Centers, and that's that sort of interface between the real world and what you're going to be, what you're going to experience post-secondary business and industry in our community. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. Yeah, good, good. So let's just dive right in, pun fully intended. And let's 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 start with actually Pam, share with us a little bit about the overarching rationale for why to do this project. So so tell us, you know, the high level what the project is and why as a school, from a school perspective, you guys wanted to do that. A lot of the things we do in the early college centers to try to prepare kids for 
global learning, I guess you could say. So taking them out into the fields kind of gives them my concept of global learning, global minds, that they not only learn inside the classroom, but once you've taken them on a trip, we see just a total transition of the student. They just become another being. They seem to want to have uh, more leadership skills. They're not being lectured to or taking notes in class. They're actually doing the things um, that they're going to be doing in life. And I think it helps them a lot to learn time management and learn a lot of different leadership skills that we're really trying to impress upon them as they become young adults. And we see that, I mean, every single day at the Past Innovation Lab. The the fact that the kids have so much autonomy, no matter what it is that we have them doing, and the fact that they step in the door and we believe that they can. uh, Kids get that. They know that um, right away. So, um, Shelly... Over the years, as we've structured a whole variety of programs um, at PASS and the PASS Innovation Lab, one of the things that you have always been an advocate for is the very deliberate scaffolding of experiences for students. So walk us through this project because it has a number of key components that, quite frankly, over time have been developed, but also we're to the point in doing these types of programs that we know they're truly not successful without. Yeah, I think that in a classroom, you it's the known environment for learning. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows what a classroom looks like. It's you know, got four walls or five walls or it's round or something, but it's a classroom and it's got some place to sit. And so if we kind of rethink about learning environments, sometimes kids, when they're really immersed in learning, they actually take the skills that they are, they are not likely to use in, when they're sitting in the classroom, and they'll really begin to apply those skills. And so that I think that immersive learning environment becomes an incredible way for kids who don't do well often in the classroom to actually shine. And we have seen this again and again over the 20 years that we've been running field schools at PAST, that we've had kids that we've promoted to leadership where teachers at the school are saying, oh, that kid's not a good kid. That's not a good fit. And and what we're seeing is that just when we take them out of one learning environment and put them in another, they get really great. Well, this, the same place is not for all yeah. kids, and I guess at the end of the yeah. day, that's the premise. So before we, we sort of move into some of the specific students' experiences, this program, this Global su- Sustainability Program, um, and over the years, it's changed a bit, right? So just give us the gist of the program component, Shelley, from the purely programmatic, the post-secondary lens, because you're sitting in some sense, as a design partner from the Past Innovation Lab in partnership with local school, in this case, uh, the Metro Schools for this project, and Pam in particular, but also you're sitting in the seat representing the post-secondary partner. Right. So we've always designed at least one program a year that has a post-secondary kids can get collegiate credit for it. Our best partners have been uh, at OSU. Uh, We've had many other colleges, but OSU for this one, Global Sustainability, comes out of the anthropology department, and it's a holistic look at culture. 
So we've chosen islands as the place where we're really going to go apply the knowledge. You just wanted to go to the Caribbean, both of you. <laughs> well, we went to Italy one it's year. A good place to you start. did. You did. <laughs> yeah, and China. Yeah, we went to China. <laughs> yeah, we we actually... have bags. We'll travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so I think you know, but uh, islands are fabulous right. for global sustainability in the sense that you've got a cultural component. You have the physical component of the people who are there. You have the historic component of what came, where are the antecedents, where were the prehistoric people, the um, the people of discovery or rediscovery, and then what's there today. You have the environment and how you sustain a small environment. And so kids can, in a very, very short time, grasp. Uh, global sustainability when you get to an island. And you have a uh, cross-cultural awareness too. Yeah. There are a lot of students that have never been out of the United right. States or Ohio for that mm-hmm. for that matter. And we get them on Columbus. an island and it's yeah. it's completely um, new to them. And, and the environmental aspects that we're talking about for scientific research are there. But also I think the cultural component is probably what they remember the most. Yeah. I think from our perspective, this is a four-field anthropology class. Um, there aren't very many of them. Um, so, you know, when we write this up for for the post-secondary class, we had to write that the kids were going to study cultural anthropology, they were going to study physical anthropology, they were going to study um, archaeology, and they were going to study linguistics. Yeah, and, and so to be clear for our listeners, so these kids enroll in this program, which is a summer program. It's not part of their regular academic year. They do, however, start it during the regular academic year. And we'll circle back around on that in a second um, by taking this um, post-secondary course that's tied to it for credit. So what Shelley's talking about um, is course that is housed in this case in the anthropology department. But the reality is that you know wherever you are in the world, uh, through local partners, museums. Um, after-school programs, zoos, you name it, universities, colleges, you can create these types of experiences. Um, But these are the the key components that we have found over time work really well. And so, Pam, those those kids, to be enrolled in the collegiate piece of it, I mean, how do you you pick the kids? How do you know they're ready? Because not all of these kids, just to be clear for our listeners, come directly out of the Metro Early College. Correct. Many of the kids do come from Metro, and they're already enrolled at Ohio State University. Um, once they're enrolled, we have a meeting, and we tell them, Shelly and I decide on, uh, I guess, on what our, our our global prospect is for the year and what we want to study. And this year, um, we found a new place to go to in Tobago and Trinidad. And the students were interested, and we tell them what we're going to do and what they're going to learn, what their OSU class will be, and we give them the parameters. We also tell them when the class is going to be and that it is a collegiate course. It's not just, quote, a vacation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we're going to go and study culture and go snorkeling, but they actually have projects to do. And once the kids decide, hey, yeah, that's for me, I can get college credit for this, uh, we begin the prospect of, you know, how do you want to fund, you know, mm-hmm. raise money to go and, you know, what are the, what are, what are your interests? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the students, like the China trip, we had a totally different group than we have for some of the Caribbean mm-hmm. trips. So it, it's, it's a different group every year and it, it's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that not only do we have the post-secondary partner but we are, and the, and the 
K-12 or the <laughs> secondary high school partners, but we also have to have another partner. We have to have a partner in place mm-hmm. where we're going. Right. Right. Uh, and this year, it's the Environmental Research Institute in the in, in Charlottesville. In, yeah, in Charlottesville, in Tobago. Mm-hmm. So, so that gives us that three-legged stool. Which is critical because without the partnerships in place, these things can very easily be nothing more than a fun summer field trip, if you will, but not truly, truly meaningful, deep, applied learning. And that's the thing that we're talking about here today is this opportunity to take what could be great um, exploration for students and exposure and turning it into true deep learning. That's a very different thing. And some of the pre-skills we do in class are, um, for instance, we did traditions of Tobago, we did culture, we did history, we did flora, we did fauna, just to kind of give them a little pre-look at the island and what they're going to see. Tobago, on the other hand, the ERIC program gave us, these are some of the programs we have. Um, which ones would you be interested in? Well, we let the kids choose because mm-hmm. it's actually their learning experience. Uh, we're there to guide them, but the the air professionals are the ones that live on the island. So once the students saw some of the choices, we picked seven or eight, and then they'll do projects when we're down there with their staff, which is tremendous because they actually get field experience. They, they learn a new way of teaching. They might not teach the same way we do. Mm-hmm. They also learn, again, cross-cultural you know, how do you relate to somebody that, you know, might have a different dialect than you and you're trying really, really hard to understand what they're saying and you're trying to learn? You're out in the field and they're telling you all of this really unique information about their island and they're so excited and passionate. And how do you share that passion with them that they have for their own environment? Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah, I think too that that having that product is really important. Mm-hmm. Like we decided to do a codex, mm-hmm. so that's a layering of of lots and lots of information into a thing. And the people at Eric really said, "Well, we don't even know what a codex is. Can mm-hmm. you share that with us too?" So now the journey is a is a is a um, combined journey between the Eric researchers and the, the um, global sustainability kids. At the end, they will make a presentation to the entire community at Eric on what they've done. And just to be clear for our listeners, so, you know, Codex is essentially a multifaceted, multi-layered uh, database, uh, the searchable of information, opportunities, you name it, uh, tied to a, to a location. And uh, Shelley has done many of these over the years on a variety of different, uh, both cultural and environmental sites um, in terms of, of producing things that ultimately a community can use for many, many years to come. And that circles back around to sort of that value proposition for students themselves. So again, you know, the fact that they're actually engaged in real meaningful work that has tangible outcomes to local community changes the way, Pam, the students think about this opportunity and their responsibility back to the project. So let's talk about that just a little bit. So, um, you know, sort of pushing the, the, the piece for the students to have to have not just the input, but the responsibility on the backside. That's kind of a big deal. It is. Uh, it, it's really interesting that every group we've had kind of goes along, and this is really interesting, and it's unique, and it's fun. And then all of a sudden, we get to the last three or four days, and we're like, okay, you guys have been working on this project. Now, what are you going to do for your presentation? We actually have an authentic audience mm-hmm. for you. The people in this community are coming to watch you present information about their space or their island or their culture. And I think it hits them at that point that they're like, oh, this is real. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we don't want to embarrass ourselves or anybody else. And it's amazing how quickly they work and, and their presentations have been phenomenal mm-hmm. in the last, what, 10 years yeah. that we've done this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's fun though, because we're, we're not really sure. This is our first time going mm-hmm. to Tobago. Mm-hmm. So we're not really sure what the opportunities are in the past. We've done um, like in China, we did Eastern and Western medicine. When we went to Costa Rica, we did socialized medicine. Um, one trip to Costa Rica was for medicinal plants and mm-hmm. how they could mm-hmm. be used, you know, instead of prescription medicine. Uh, yeah, we've done St. John uh, was in St. John. We did uh, petroglyphs mm-hmm. um, because they'd never been completely and done and then we we layered that in with with medicinal medicines and stuff we've also worked with the um dive charter association Mm -hmm. in the keys to create underwater placards uh, for scuba divers and snorkelers Um, we worked with the uh, bureau of uh, a visitors bureau in michigan to uh, map and create uh, a kind of a, a roadmap for a ghost town up there Oh, we've done, yeah, yeah, for tourism. So, uh, ecotourism. So, we've done a lot. And so, that's why I said that third partner Mm -hmm. becomes incredibly important because we we leave behind something. One of the the most interesting ones, I think, besides the petroglyphs that we did was um, in St. John, as you know, there was a a ship that I guess you had worked on Mm -hmm. and we didn't Mm -hmm. even know it was there. When we got (laughs) down there, the, the... the people didn't know it was there. They were like, yeah. what ship are you talking about? And we gave them the history that, you, that, that Annalise had given us. And so we set the kids out. We put the boat in the middle of the water and we said, okay, it's within this range. Whoever finds it gets a pizza. And the kids were like, really? So they were looking, <laughs> we'll every, work for pizza. They're looking everywhere for this for this shipwreck. Uh-huh. And we finally found it. And our, our boat captain was like, I didn't even know this yeah. was here. So the kids developed a... Uh, a map of mm-hmm. how people could come, visitors could come and find it and did history on it. And we left that with him and he uses it to this day. Well, um, and he takes tours out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even more important is after the hurricane came through St. John, the um, National Park Service used our work mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to figure out if the site had been disturbed by the hurricane. Yeah. And the great thing about that site, and I think that speaks to, again, the taking the kids out into the community and letting them live and be and explore and understand is really key because over the years, certainly both Shelly and I have seen this, you know, an institutional or local memory comes and goes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's very easy to lose your own history, your environmental history, your cultural history, um, you know, your socioeconomic, all of the, the pieces that make up your story your community, your human story are very fragile. And I think that sometimes we forget in our teaching and learning to make sure that as we send young people off into the world, that they understand how fragile the world is. So Mm -hmm. these types of programs are really valuable in that sense. And, you know, back to to Shelly's point, you know, it it was awesome to be able to tell your students about the Shipwreck Project in St. John. And, and, you know, my students, because that was an East Carolina University project, many years (laughs) prior, I want to say 19, no, let's see, 2000. 
and two, 2001, 2002, something like that. Um, I took a team down and we excavated on that site. And, you know, it had, we weren't the first ones there either. And I think that's the key to the story and why it's valuable for your kiddos. We weren't the first ones either. And so that, that long line data then becomes that thing that in a crisis, in an environmental crisis, like a hurricane, you, you actually are able to tell the story of damage and sustainability and all of those other components. And those lessons are really key. Shelly, I want to circle back around on the post secondary piece again because this is one of those pieces that you know lots of folks struggle with how to do this and how to do it right and i think intuitively schools know that we have to scaffold kids to be successful but the one of the reasons that the program in the course that you teach works is because you teach it right you it's scaffolded to have the students some who've had some early college experience who are participating in the program but not all the kids have right and so talk to us a little bit about the structure of the scaffolding to ensure that those kids who've never had a college experience can be successful and move on to an independent college experience after Right. I think it's really important that you you don't, um, oftentimes people will say, well, I, I can't dumb this course down. The collegiate. I've the heard, collegiate. Let's be really clear, right? Yeah. Because you and I have had so many of these conversations with post-secondary partners around the world. Right. When you say, let's bring high school kids into this environment and sometimes, not always, out of fairness, but sometimes it's a bit of a freak. Yeah. There's a lot of belief that, you know, magically something changes between grade 12 and grade 13. Magic is awesome. Magic is awesome. And it's alchemy, too. And it's really cool. Um, But in truth, it's still grade 13. And so if you really look at uh, what do you need to have foundational understanding this is a, a survey course, and we try to make sure that these are survey courses, that they're, they're, I'm not diving into great depth in cultural anthropology nor in, in physical anthropology, but I'm giving them the basics of why this happens, just as I would in you know physical anthropology 101 or cultural anthropology 101. So the classes are set up exactly like a regular survey class in, co- in college. Nothing's different. And Except that they know and are comfortable with their instructor. That's a piece of yeah, it, right? I think that's true. And I think it's also a very applied learning. And mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly important that the content that I'm moving, I'm moving at the same time I'm trying to get these kids to really look at collaboration, communication, and all these implicit skills that I think are that they can transfer and they can attack any problem that ever comes ahead of them as long as they have these strong skills. And so I find that even when I'm teaching all college students, you know, that they're not, they, these students may not, they may be finished with high school. We have seen that when we go into the field and teach exactly the same way, whether these kids are master students, early college students, doesn't matter. As long as we take this really applied kind of learning, what we find is all of a sudden kids take all the content they've got, they've driven it to a deeper learning. They have it years later. You and I both know we have students that come to us now 20, 30 years later for me, and I've had them in a summer program. They got college credit for it and they go, you know, I I can still remember what you taught me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because we have... Um, one student in particular who, um, as Shelly knows, did not know how to swim, and we were taking her to um, St. John, 
And she was very hesitant about going. And Shelly said, I can teach anybody to swim. So, you know, we got her in the water. We Because Shelly's not afraid to drown. (laughs) No, I know. It's it's, it's an awesome thing to behold. (laughs) So once we we got her comfortable in the water and then we got her down to St. John and she saw the ocean for the first time Mm -hmm. and saw what was under the water, we couldn't get her out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Since then, she has traveled the world said it was because of this class yeah. and this program that she has a new view on uh, humanity and um, helping people with global health is what she wants to go into. And she became a certified diver, which we were just tickled because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this was a young lady who couldn't swim and just grabbed it by the horns and just went, I'm, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And she said it changed her life. So... And and those are the moments, right? You know, yeah. that, that the, we're, we're on radio, so you can't see it, but this is a little shudder that sort of kind of goes through you when you hear those types of stories. And that's, that's real because right. it's transformative. I think one time very early on in my career, I got to experience this. And, and my professor said to me, don't make it complicated. Take the complex and, and make it understandable. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, it's, it's not complicated. It's just complex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you kind of get around that, then you can take these really amazing ideas and, and concepts that from anywhere in the world, and you can show kids that, and they get it and grasp it, and then they go wild with it. Well, so. Shelley said, I think a lot of times this is, um, I think through all your education, through college, through graduate school or whatever, a lot of kids will come back and say, I think I remember this the most mm-hmm. because they actually had to learn to adapt to a different environment and learn to work with peers they might not have known, come up with different ways of devising a plan for their project that, you know, if you're in a classroom situation back at home where you're comfortable, you know exactly where to go mm-hmm. to or what website you can find that information on. But down there, they kind of have to figure it out on their own. And we're there to guide them, but we pretty much let them do their own design challenge on that. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. And I think, you know, the wonderful thing about going into the field is, you know, there's not a there's not a thing of, of pencils up at the front desk that you lost yours, you'll go up and get it. You know, six miles off the coast of any <laughs> place, you're six miles off the coast. Mm-hmm. There's no Walmart out there or anything like that. So I think learning that to be, to think better, to manage better, all of those are really big skills and they can take them with them into their careers. Mm-hmm. And whether we taught global sustainability or we taught you know, economic literacy, or we taught any of our literacies, it wouldn't really, we could put anything to it that we wanted to. And that's the beauty of the structure of the way the programs work. And certainly that's what we advocate for over and over again um, at Past Innovation Lab and certainly what we're trying to accomplish with Learning Unbox when we talk about these case studies. But the common thing that I see in all the conversations that we've, we've brought to the program, and I can say uh, without question, one of the pieces that you see is they are based on the notion of very strong partnerships, partners who come to the table to engage, to design, to construct, to play, 
to learn, to succeed and fail um, all together. So the partnerships is the key. And then the other piece is the scaffolded process for the students to be successful. And I think they learn a lot of independence this way, too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're away from home. They're quite quite far away from right. home and you know some of them the first couple of days might get a little homesick but you're like you know fuck up here you mm-hmm. are this is the real world you're going to be independent and you know we're sensitive to their needs and i think the other kids are too but pretty soon they're like well yeah i mean we've had kids say yeah i am here i did pay for this trip i do want to get credit for it you're right i have to do this and and where are you going to get that if they're, you know, they're home mm-hmm. and they're in a classroom, they can just go home. And here they have to learn to adapt and change, which is, you know, the way of the world. And I think a lot of um, employers look at that when they see a resume and they say, oh, you went to China or Tobago or whatever. Mm-hmm. What did you do? And then they have something they can actually talk about and say, well, this is the project we worked on. Right. And they have something that, you know, they can be proud of and, and remember for the rest of their lives. And I think to circle back to your point is when you see other professors at the university say, well, what did your kids really do? You know, you just, you know, you just took them to Tobago to, to swim <laughs> and you got a suntan. And then you show them what these kids produced mm-hmm. and they go, oh, wait a minute, that's really impressive production. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, because... They actually understand now that this product is evidence of their learning. Mm-hmm. It's not just a product. It's it's this evidence that gets really big. And I think, um, you know, we've we've had other professors laugh at us on on different things. You know, walk a mile in my shoes, put shoes up all over the campus, and people are like, "What are those shoes about?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, what the kids learned was really amazing cross cultural mm-hmm. understanding. That was the gauge. And and in global sustainability. They learn that it takes everything to sustain a culture. It's not just one thing. Right. And I think that, you know, we we bat this word sustainability around a lot right now, right? So it's a it's a pretty hot now topic. It's been with us forever, but for whatever reason, you know, we put it in our marketing campaigns right now. So it's sort of a, you know, a, a buzz that everybody's talking about. And I think that the big takeaway that I personally and professionally really want folks to understand when they use the word sustainability as it relates to applied teaching and learning in particular is that it can be almost anything. Mm -hmm. And the thing that truly makes it impactful and sustainable to come back all the way around to the root is the fact that to your point, Pam, that kids don't forget. Mm -hmm. It stays with them and it actually has meaningful impact. So you can craft a million different courses or experiences and tap into this local, state, regional, national, global need, which is really important need around sustainability, but give it a local piece that is going to be meaningful to those kids. Well, it was interesting as we were doing the the history of whatever country we're in, this, this time it happens to be Tobago, and the kids were like, oh, well the Spanish were there. Oh, well, you know, the Latvians were there. Oh, well, this culture was there. And then we were talking about, well, how did that culture change agriculture? Or how did that culture change the fishing industry? Or how did that culture change whatever it was we were talking about? And they were like, there were 12 different types of, you know, humans in this one island within the last yeah. Three, four hundred years. And they're like, wow, just think how. And then we started talking about 
you know, the Venezuelan people that were trying to come over mm-hmm. and, you know, what, how does that impact a society? And it was just amazing that all of a sudden their little gears start working and they're like, well, we never thought of that. I said, well, when we go there, you're probably going to want to just in the back of your mind, think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about some of the relationships between global sustainability on a small island versus a large continent. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, we have things going on right now that the borders are very restricted right now in Trinidad and Tobago based because of the mass uh, exodus from Venezuela. I said, so how do you take that, understand that for a small two small islands and bring that here into the United States and understand it for our borders and mm-hmm. what we're discussing right now. And that sparks all kinds of conversation. And, and once again, it takes a very complex issue and you're able to look at it in a different light. Mm-hmm. A smaller light. And a sm- yeah, you know, it's just a smaller country. Right. So uh, it's, it, I think those are those kinds of things now we can push all those Kevlar threads together. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking too about you know, what viewpoints are the people from Trinidad and Tobago going to have about the exodus of people from Venezuela? So you need to keep your ears open and listen to culturally and politically what they're saying in their community. You don't necessarily have to get into the topic, but just listen and, and see what they have to say. And then you can form your own opinions. But it's really important for them, I think, as far as being young people to especially with our world being so diverse now for them to actually listen to other cultures and see what they're doing. So it's kind of fun to to see their little minds work after. You're, okay, so we learned this today. What do you think? And then all of a sudden it's like, wah. <laughs> the wah moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think too that they're going to take this back into college or career. And they're going to not be afraid suddenly to attack a problem in their biology class, in their oceanography class, in any other class they get. Because now they suddenly went, wow, I didn't know any of that stuff. And mm-hmm. yet I still could come up and create a codex and or at least the beginnings of a codex. And 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 now I can go into this class over here and 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 do the research that my professor wants me to do. So I think in your in your comment about scaffolding, we're giving them those skill sets that they're gonna need. And those skill sets are absolutely critical. And the reality of it is that um, even though your global sustainability program, which is absolutely awesome and allows folks to get to go and do this great trip, the reality is if you are a teacher in a small community without the resources to travel outside the community, you know, this entire program is based on things that you're you're doing just right here. So I want to touch on that just really quickly because the last thing I want to have happen is for folks, oh, well, that's really awesome, but we can't do that. Because the answer is you you actually can. It's just structured a little bit differently. So Pam, really, really briefly talk to us about the um, the work that you're doing as you take the kids out is, is based on the work in the learning center that you've been heading up for a number of years now um, with your bodies program and the way that it's tied to embedded local industry partners and problems. Back to Shelley's point about the kids are going to go to Trinidad and Tobago and they're going to work on a codex that's a local problem. So how how does how does one I, I can't go to the Caribbean. How do I do this locally as the K-12 teacher? What does that look like for you? A K-12 teacher could find almost 
Well, like Stratford. I mean, you mm-hmm. could go up to the Stratford farm in Delaware um, and decide to do a project on growth food industry. You can go take the students anywhere out of a classroom. And I know they used to call them field trips, but a field trip was just going and and looking and seeing what their job was and coming home. I mean, to immerse the students, you really need to have like a challenge for them, a design challenge, and say, hey, this is happening in our neighborhood and and bring it back locally. Let's see who can help us with this project, who has ideas. And if they're younger students, I would get parents involved and say, this is what we want to do. Do you have any suggestions? And parents love to get involved. Mm-hmm. They can find industry partners or, you know, they might have a neighbor who is um, invested in a specific topic and start there. Uh, go to a lake, you go to a farm, go to, um, there are all sorts of places. The zoo is mm-hmm. another one. I mean, you could do so many smaller trips with the kids. And as, as they get older and they've learned to accept a challenge and um, design a solution for it, they start to think in a little broader um, aspect. And as they grow and get better, then you can start taking them to maybe Lake Erie or um, Florida and the Keys or someplace within the United States borders, which is pretty easy to find. And then from there, you just have to start communicating with people outside. There are companies and organizations that do field trips. I don't know necessarily if they're as educational as the ones we do, but, you know, you could make it whatever you want to make it. So part of it is that sort of fearlessness around the design of the experience, mm-hmm. right? So so Shelly, as the partner, right, as whether the, the community partner, so whether you're a museum, to, to Pam's point, you're the local farm, you're a local nonprofit, you're the food pantry, you know, so many different ways you could think about that sort of external outside partner. And, you know, um, Shelly also came to pass from the museum world, so has lived in that space of that community partner from multiple different aspects of what that means. And so how do you, as that kind of entity, sit and approach the planning and design side with the teacher? Because one of the things that oftentimes will happen in these cases is that outside entity, that museum, you know, that that zoo, even, you know, your metro parks or whatnot has canned programming. And the easy lift for everybody involved in this conversation is to take that canned programming, which may be great programming, don't get me wrong, and say, here, let's just do this, right? And oftentimes teachers will be hesitant to push back and say, but I really want it to be this, or could we add? How do you, how do you being the folks sitting in the community sort of branch in that partnership? I think it's, it's, it's probably one of the more difficult lifts of education is that teachers have a perception of teaching. Uh, community partners have a perception of what they can do. You know, everybody's got their own perception. Um, The community partner does not want to go in the classroom and teach, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) Um, and the teacher doesn't know what else to ask. Right, right. So what you often see is you've got these people that really, really want to work together. They don't really understand, though, what they can do for each other. And I think that if you get the partners all into the planning stage, that then we start to see, like, in the middle school, if we can really focus on, on exploration and role models, we can begin to 
expand the horizons of, of um, what kids can be. Mm-hmm. And then if we can take that ninth, 10th grade year and really get towards orientation of career, then we can take on, you know, let's take on this project that we, mm-hmm. we didn't have before. Let's take this on. What's a, what's a problem that we have in our community that we could solve? I mean, do you have a grocery store in your community? If you don't, let's, let's see if we can solve that problem. And let's get those partners in where they can really help. And their help is really in the expertise for the teacher. Right. And so they can really give the teacher that kind of depth of knowledge or understanding that the teacher does not possess and make a confident teacher who can then do activities with their kids to actually get to a solution. And I think then you get to, as Pam said, you're at the end. Now we have experience. Mm-hmm. Let's get these kids some experience. Let's get them out into a research or a farm, or let's get them to a museum and an internship. And I think at this point in that experiential years of maybe like 11th, 12th grade, getting internships is probably the most important part mm-hmm. of all of this. Mm-hmm. So to your point of scaffolding, I think we have to be really clear. When do we want to or, you know, kind of like explore mm-hmm. and get curiosity really built. And then w- how do we orient to really problem solving? And then how do we get the kids experience that really sets them up in a really nice vertical rise to be ready and confident to either go to college or go into a career? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I think as a teacher, you need to think instead of what my students can't do, you have to think, ooh, let's take this experience. Uh, For instance, the new dance they were doing, uh, the kids were like crazy and doing it all the time. Pam was dancing uh, for us, by the way. Well, it's on radio after all. I mean, I'm I'm talking about the kindergartners in first grade (laughs) in my neighborhood. They came and they said, our teachers are really mad because they're doing this dance. And I went, why don't you go back to them and say, hey, we're burning a lot of energy. Can we learn energy with this and take this dance and do an experiment with it or read about it or why did it start or what's the culture of it or why are people doing it and who developed it and kind of do a history. And and one of the little boys said, oh, I'm going to go ask my teacher that. And then not too long ago, he came back and he went, we did a whole science project on that dance just because you said that. I went, well, that's that's what we have to teach. (laughs) We have to teach teachers to think not no, you're not going to be able to do that or no, you can't use your cell phone or no, you can't do that and, and quit saying no and just saying, okay, let's take this experience that you have now and let's make something out of it. So we have this problem with X. What do you want to do with it? So, so classic design thinking, though, yeah. right? I mean, you know, that that is all about, hey, we have a set of constraints. They're not bad. They're not good. They, they exist. We have to design with those in mind. And, and so, yeah. And if we're teaching kids to do that and, and take not a no, every time you say no to a student, it's like a challenge. If you say, okay, I really don't want you to do this, but if you have to do this particular set of things, how are you, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. What's the important purpose? And I think that's what Shelly and I do with the kids. We, we're going down with a set of expectations that we have. We have no idea. You have to change in a minute. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we might get there. One of the things is turtle nesting. And we're going out a couple of evenings to see if we can see the turtles hatch. What if they don't? Mm-hmm. So what are we going to get from that experience? And, and what can the kids do? Um, that was different or what did they learn or, you know, things change every minute. So it's kind of fun to be able to change 
at, at that moment. Yeah. Well, it makes it real. You know, it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's not, you know, or boxed like, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, here's a bunch of numbers, put them in an order and, you know, you get a solution. This is, you got variables all over the place. It might be weather we can't go. It may be the fact that the turtles just aren't nesting at this moment. It might be any number of given things. Everyone gets seasick. That's been our one, you know, okay, we're not going to do that now. (laughs) The social bar first. Yeah, the social bar first. It's funny, the itinerary for this trip has changed six times and we keep giving the students a different itinerary every time we meet. And they're like, why are we getting another one? And I went, well... Again, variables, we've got to figure out, you know, buses and, and who your teacher is down there. And is that part of the park, state park open at that time? And they're like, oh, I said, just you know, go with the flow. It'll change even when we get down there. And they're like, okay. So we're teaching them adaptability. I, you know, you've got to be able to change in a moment when you're in a job or in college. So yeah. I, I don't know, ladies, sounds to me like you guys are advocating for, you know, learning unboxed. Right? <laughs> um, so w- w- with that sort of last lob, I always like to end um, every one of the episodes with um, sort of a, you know, piece of that sort of sage advice from the experience that um, our guests have had. You know, as folks sit back and they listen and contemplate, hey, should I do this thing? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the thing that you want that teacher, that person in the community, that policy person who's contemplating putting themselves on the line and, and going out there and doing something really, really innovative in the education space. Shelly, what, what, what's, your, what's your piece, your last lob to those folks? I think I would love to see that we drop the difference between informal learning and formal learning. Yeah. I'd like us to see us drop. Why is, you know, we have data that shows that alternative learning and informal learning have amazing impacts on kids. And yet we then run back to formal mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. So why do we have this difference? I mean, if that's working, why are we using it? Why aren't we doing it every day? <laughs> yeah, why aren't we doing it every day? Why is it alternative when it, this should be mainstream? So somebody out there, take that on, darn it. Absolutely. Pam, what about you? What's, what's, your, what's your last lob for someone thinking about this? Um, I think my biggest pet peeve with education is committees, that you have to take everything (laughs) to a committee and then people have to vote on it. And by the time you vote on it, the moment's over. So teach in the moment and and let teachers have a little bit more free reign of um, innovative ideas for their students and let the kids design and be productive. I mean, we're thinking... You've got to think 20 years down the road. You can't think 20 years behind us, which a lot of education is right now. So we need to move forward and give some teachers, give them credit. I mean, they they have their degree. They know what they're doing. Let them be spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an amazing group of dedicated folks who are making every effort on behalf of, of our kiddos. Absolutely. So thank you, ladies, very much for taking time out of your day and sharing your journey with us and have a really awesome and safe, exciting, fun trip. You guys head out. Did you want to take any of those words back? Like <laughs> fun? <laughs> yeah, it's, exciting? It's, it should always be fun. It should always be exciting. And I did promise you an adventure. <laughs> Yes. 20 some odd years of adventure have been had. Yes. And with that, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin. 
And join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. Education.